Welcome to Help from Future Self. What's happening, Archons? Welcome to another episode of Help from Future Self. It's the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. My name is Scuzzy Gruen. I am a Keyforge friend, and I'm joined by two of my Keyforge friends, hopefully two of your Keyforge friends. We've got S.E. Steele. Hello, hello. And Boulevard Blake. Yo, what's going on, guys? Not too much. What's happening, Coach? Oh, you know, living the dream. <laughs> Every single day. Got to start this episode off with some bombshell news that literally just came across our desk. Sydney, you just forwarded uh, an article to our group chat where we discuss what we're going to be uh, talking about on Help from Future Self literally five minutes before the episode started. And the headline of the article is Asmodee owners seek to sell board game publisher for 2 billion euros. I won't go too deep into the article because there's not a lot of information there. But essentially, currently, uh, a private equity firm owns Asmodee. And as we all know, Asmodee owns Fantasy Flight Games, Atomic Mass Games, Z-Man Studios, Catan Studios, and Days of Wonder, amongst other assets. So this is not the sale of FFG, but this is literally the sale of the company that owns FFG, as well as so many other games, including Catan, arguably you know one of the most popular Euro games uh, still in production and still uh, coming out constantly. So... What this might mean for Keyforge, I have no idea, but certainly something we needed to acknowledge. It's also cool that the the last time it was sold recently in 2018, so it being moved around a lot may may not be the best sign, but at least this time around, they're, they're still asking for more money than they paid for it. So it wasn't a losing venture for them. So that means good things in the in the financial world. I think any companies like that, when it says like a a kind of firm bought them. That means they're looking for something that they can get a little bit back, you know, as it, it goes. They're probably looking as an investment and uh, I'm sure pandemic related, et cetera, is a thing. But who knows? I, I wonder if it'll get broken apart and FFG will be its own thing, which would be kind of interesting as well because I think Asmodee has kind of been my own, I guess, caveat to enjoying the way it runs. I feel like them just being a numbers thing, they cut and slash a lot more aggressively and so maybe we'll get someone who has some love love for the games coming in and makes everything a little bit more warm and fuzzy, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I'm not a financial expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I do know that when portfolio like this is going up for sale, the immediate concern is to show profitability. And one way to show profitability beyond what you actually sell, you know, real profits, is to cut down on operational costs. And, you know, over the past over the pandemic, we've seen FFG certainly do that in relation to its entire portfolio of games, not just uh, Keyforge. But, um, you know, maybe when uh, the sale happens, that will mean a stabilization and they can go back to to just sort of focusing on the game and less on just making the numbers uh, look very attractive to potential investors. Speculation on my part. Once again, not a financial expert. I do not offer <laughs> any financial advice uh, or uh, insight beyond just uh, little bits that I've picked up here and there. Do not take this to the bank. Yeah, and this will be an ongoing thing too. So we'll we'll have more news as more news happens. Indeed. But we're not here to talk about financials. We're not here to talk about the sale of Asmodee and how that might relate to Keyforge. We're here to talk about ground-level concerns. And when I say ground-level concerns, we're talking about the essence of Keyforge, the backbone of Keyforge, and something that we've been able to return to relatively recently here in Vancouver – and I know, Sydney, some events have been happening in your neck of the woods as well, way over there in Illinois, opposite side <laughs> of the continent. Uh, 
We're talking about Weekly Archon, and what we're going to be talking about this week is how to spice up Weekly Archon. There's a couple different ways that that can happen, but, uh, you know, Weekly Archon is kind of like a relationship. It's something that develops over time, and, you know, it has uh, some some dips and ups and downs, and sometimes things might get a little boring, and you just need to yeah. spice it up a little bit. A little and, stale. Uh, you need to add some role-playing to the, to the equation. Exactly, <laughs> which is why today. from now on, Blake, I'm going to be showing up to every single event in my full-on plushy uh, Fuzzy Gruen suit. Uh, I will only yes. be playing in character as Fuzzy Gruen. Um, That's Picture a little more didn't information happen. I needed to know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a sex thing. Um, but with all of that said, there, there's a couple different ways that we can approach this. And we kind of broke it down into three categories, three different ways that you can spice up Archon. And there's countless other ways. This was just an easy way for us, I think, to stimulate the discussion around this and talk about some ways that we've actually participated in ourselves are y'all ready to, to get in on this conversation? Yeah, let's bet. do it. All right. So kind of the first way that you can do this, um, and this is the one that we've engaged in very recently, as recently as last night for you, Blake, is the idea of having deck requirements for an Archon event. So let's say that everybody's together at Archon, uh, just like we were last week, Blake, and it was a sealed event, and next week was just going to be straight up Archon, and we said, okay, everybody brings W.C. Brobnar. That's a super basic example, but it is a great way to actually spice up Archon because you're putting a limitation on what people can bring, but that also forces people to go into their catalog of decks and seek out something that works for that event. Maybe it's a deck they haven't played a lot of, or they haven't played in a long time, or they've never really given the time of day to, and it gives incentive to do that. So people aren't just bringing their favorite deck right now or the hottest deck in their stable. They're forced to go in and find something that fits the theme. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was a good one too. I, it's funny how that is like the one. With, let's put a handicap on on the Archon event. Worlds collide, Brobnar. I feel like it's the go to. <laughs> Poor I think Brobnar. Things that I find super fascinating about this as well is that there's a real community angle to this that I think uh, is is worth exploring. Because when I was thinking about this. You know, we had discussed, Blake, uh, when we were having this conversation amongst all the people who are present and deciding that we're going to play W.C. Brobnar, was if somebody shows up and doesn't have W.C. Brobnar, that has to be okay. Not everybody can be there for the planning sessions. Not everybody's on the social media and is aware of what's agreed to. Everybody has to kind of accept the fact that somebody must just might show up. Maybe they're new to town. Maybe they just weren't there that particular week. And whatever they bring has to be okay. But there's also the aspect that says if somebody puts their hand up or puts a post on social media saying, I don't have any WC Brobnar to play, that's an opportunity for us as a community to come together and provide decks and provide resources for people who want to participate in what everybody else is doing. So it's not just saying, all right, we'll just bring whatever then. It's, well, I was planning to play this WC Brobnar deck. Would you be interested in playing it next week and I'll bring a second one for myself? Or would you be interested in perhaps playing this other WC Brobnar deck that I happen to have? I think those are big opportunities to help, uh, you know, use our own resources to help out within the community. That's a great point. Which is something you see online too. 
Yeah, we actually haven't done a lot of that um, in in the pre planning stages of our weekly game nights. That's it's a fantastic idea, but we've we've done it kind of informally on the fly, where all of us will bring a couple different types of decks, and then we'll discuss going into playing what kinds of things we wanna we wanna play by, or if we wanna do anything special or play certain types of decks. Because you know, if we bring some of our killer decks or some of our really fun decks, or might, we might even like. Just keep it within a set, even as simple as look, we're just playing AOA today, guys. Nobody's bringing their uh, their heat today, so um, it's it's something that planning beforehand is is a great idea. I also like the creativity aspect of this one because you know we threw out WC Brobnar as an example, just because that's a real life one um, that 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 just occurred just last night here in Vancouver. But there's all kinds of different ways you can approach this. You can talk about SAS limits. You can talk about set limits. You can talk about combinations of those things. Everybody has to bring an AOA deck under 70 SAS, or everybody has to bring a Coda deck, but it has to be you know 50 SAS or something else like that. Those become a little bit challenging because it depends on the depth of the libraries of the players that you have but there's still lots of different options everybody has to bring or this house band i remember that shadow bands were or shadows bands shadow bands <laughs> shadows bands were <laughs> a, a a thing for a little while during the coda era just because shadows was so dominant that many archon events said well to keep things interesting so it's not just people playing the steeliest decks humanly possible why don't we have some archon events that are just no shadows or it has to be a combination of these houses or you aren't allowed to have a combination of these houses. So I could definitely see, you know, all kinds of different ways that you can tackle this. I wanted to ask both of you, how do you feel about using SAS as a metric for limitations on decks? Because I'm of two minds about it and I'd be curious to know what your perspective is, starting with you, Sydney. I think if you're going to set a limit on how good a deck is, SAS is is a good baseline to use, but it's actually hard to do in reality simply because if people show up not knowing what SAS is, it's a big hubbub just to make sure everybody has one on the spot underneath a certain SAS. And it, if you set a reasonable number, then it's it's not like you'll have a hard time finding a deck that works. But if it's something that people need to like do research beforehand, it's probably not the best way to do it. For me, I'm kind of... Um I think when you're going for lower decks, like a lower SAS thing, it's dangerous. But I think when you put a cap on the peak, it makes it easier. So if you like, I feel like a good one is saying like nothing above 75 SAS. I think that's a really mm. nice one. But when you start going to the lower decks, I mean, you can bring a deck that is just misrated in SAS. And I feel with Dark Tidings that exists much stronger right now. So it hits way above. So people bringing like, an AOA, or I guess that one's not a good example, but like a Worlds Collide or a Coda, like mid-60 SAS is not the same as someone bringing maybe like a Dark Tidings or an AOA mid-60 SAS, which mm -hmm. could have been like not quite rated properly. But I feel when you say like you can't be above 75, so people can bring their mid-60s if they want or bring like a 70 to 75 range. I feel like things in that range are fairly well rated one way or the other. There's nothing that's like way above its its uh, weight class or way below either. Well, actually there are some below, but that's your problem for not choosing correctly <laughs> at that point. Yeah, yeah, you definitely. just went off the number. But I feel like that is where I like it. Saying a low SAS, I think is, is more dangerous because you can have some that are sleepers. 
Yeah, and I actually kind of like that aspect of it a little bit, Blake. Like, I like the idea of, okay, everybody has to bring a deck under, let's say, 70 sass. And then everybody's going through their 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 collection going, what is the most baller deck that I have that falls onto that rubric? I kind of like that because it, at least it acknowledges the fact that sass is not a perfect way to assess the strength of a deck. And it really rewards you for knowing what's in your stable. Um, and that's cool, but also possibly alienating to new players or to players that don't have a deep collection of decks or who just enjoy playing casually at events. So, you know, it's very possible, although I don't think I've ever met anyone, that people just don't, like, look at SAS numbers. Um, mm-hmm. we, was it Marco what? doesn't. He yeah, actually doesn't. I'm- he only did it because of, I think, started using it because we started putting in those restrictions. I know he is not someone who cares about SAS. He'll actually just play his decks and find out which ones he likes, which is something I've always respected about the way he plays the game because I think it's such a, a pure way of going about Keyforge and is in a way the essence of the way the game was created. It might also be a thing that we're going to see more going forward uh, since we know for a fact that there's going to be limits on how much we're going to see updates to SAS in the foreseeable future. But um, it's one of the most basic and one of the funnest, I think, ways to add a little bit of spice to your weekly Archon, but certainly not the only way. Another way that you can add a little bit of spice to your weekly Archon events is via alternate formats and rules variants so this can be something as simple as we're playing reversal um but it can also be some extremely complex and different formats we're going to get sydney to talk about some of the incredible different formats that she's played but blake you've played so many different variations on keyforge i think in terms of things like uh triad and things like um, different styles of reversal, short, uh, adaptive, and so on and so forth. What are some of your favorites uh, for for just sort of like weekly play? My favorites, unfortunately, are not applicable to weekly play because I am, until I die, a triad guy. Like I will always want to play one that has triad. It's my absolute favorite way of playing Keyforge. And it unfortunately is the longest game time that I think exists in Keyforge. Like the games always go way longer. So that's that's the unfortunate part of it. But um, for the weekly, it's not exactly Archon, but for Sealed, the Sealed Short Adaptive, where you could essentially be playing Reversal, straight up Sealed Archon, or an Adaptive where you both bid on the same deck is my favorite way to play Keyforge, I think, on a weekly basis, even though it's not Archon. I think it just provides the greatest balance and strategy within the game of Keyforge. And it also exposes the potential for chains on a more regular basis, which is not something that a lot of people get experience with. So even though it's not an Archon, I still feel very strongly about it. And I'd be even not opposed to doing it in an Archon way where you get to look at the list and do it right off the top where you choose which deck you want to play. I think that would be fun. And uh, I guess once we get a little more out of the woods with with COVID. I feel like we're pretty good here right now, but still uh, more out of the woods. I would like to get into that format of playing. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I also feel like, you know, there was a time not that long ago when we were kind of adapting short adaptive is almost like a house style for most events because everybody enjoyed playing it so much. It also was during Worlds Collide when the proposition of opening Brobnar made people cringe at playing sealed. So it provided like, if you did, you could, you had some options and some interesting uh, decisions to be made before play started so that was one thing 
Mm-hmm. Totally interesting. And I think the sort of one of the coolest things about those kinds of variations on Keyforge is that they don't require extra special knowledge of how the rules work. It's literally just, a, okay, we're playing a format where you're going to have the opportunity to bid chains for your opponent's deck, or you're going to have the opportunity to just play reversal, you know, two or three rounds and things like that. Like there's lots of different ways that you can just spice up Archon by doing things like that. So it's not just the same head-to-head matches with the same people and the same decks. You're actually getting the opportunity to throw in little quests that add a dimension to the game. And Sydney, you have played a lot, a lot of variants of Keyforge, and a lot of those are workable within Archon, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. It's so, so many. So the last coat I was in was actually a form that uh, Karen came up with, Karen Brown. And it's called Moirai. And it was just one of the most fun variants in, in all of the variants that I have ever played. And what happened was in this team game, each of three, each of the three members on your team brought a deck. But in person, it could be you bringing three decks. And what happens is it's a best of three match, but the, and and one of the decks, you're going to play an Archon, one you'll play a Reversal, and then one you'll play an Adaptive, but your opponent picks which deck you play which game with. So it's, it's just an incredibly deep, thoughtful, strategic game. And you, you actually have to like do a, a psych out where you pick the deck's that they the the variants they get to play for which decks based on what you think they'll pick for your decks knowing that you're going to pick their decks the way that you're going to pick that it's just it's so great and so much thinking and fun right beforehand and then once once everything is picked and you get to start playing it's you you have to bring decks that are either wildly different and varying or extraordinarily similar because the way that like if you if you pick a super super strong one then they'll pick the reversal or if you bring like a super weak one they'll pick it for archon so it's it's just a great way to play your middling decks I think that that really, uh, you know, highlights one of the things that's most interesting about the adding spice to your weekly Archon, which is the idea that either by putting a limitation on what decks people are playing or putting a limitation or I guess a variation on what style of play is being done, you are making people look at the game differently. Because I don't know about you, but... In my experience, I often gravitate out of laziness to whatever deck I've just been playing most recently. (laughs) Like, it's just, all right, well, I've been playing with this one a lot, so I I feel like I know it pretty good, so I'm just going to bring it to Archon. I haven't given a lot of time, thought and time. It's just the one that's in my, I've got it sleeved up. It's already in my bag. Don't have to think about it. I'm just going to show up and play it. Um, And so, you know, adding anything like that makes you look at the game a little bit differently. And that example you just gave, Sydney, is so perfect because that kind of rules variant really does make you have to consider, I can't just bring heat or I can't bring something. I have to find something that may still offer me an advantage. Maybe it's a very complex deck that only I understand how to work properly or some other, you know, factor like that. But it really does force you to break out of your comfort zone with Keyforge. And that's great a lot of the time. That's the essence of spicing things up. But it's also a thing that allows you to get more value out of the collection of decks that you already own. There's also a couple of others that if you're willing to play very far outside of the Keyforge comfort zone and do things with decks that were never intended to be done with decks, that's a it's a really, really great way to spice up 
bringing decks to play. And those, the one that takes the most prep is, is called a cube draft. It's basically a way to draft your deck. And you can do this in multiple different ways. And a lot of people have come up with their own little changes based on how, how to make it fun. And it could be from you draft a house, a whole house, and you draft three of them. You take decks apart, but you separate them by houses. And, and it could be that you have uh, two of the same houses in a deck or, or however that works. But some people have also made it so that you, you draft individual cards, but you have penalties if you don't actually get 12 cards of a house. And, and so there's, there's lots of ways to play a draft that, that different people have come up with that are just, it's super fun and a great way to actually take apart some of the decks that you'll never play or some of the worst decks in your, in your collection that you, you definitely think have like a really good house going for it, but the two others bring it down. And it's another fun way to like use your decks that you're not otherwise going to play. Yeah, we have, um, we have a local cube draft, which uh, I'm in possession of. I took apart a whole bunch of decks and did that. And it was, you draft based on houses and you can't have more than one of the same house in your deck, but you basically end up having like six or seven houses to choose from in the end. And then we just play a round robin tournament. And it created some really interesting propositions because I mean, you could have Mars with Star Alliance, for example, which is a lot of fun. Sweet. And uh, things like that. So yeah, it's uh, it was a lot of fun to to kind of go through that approach. But unfortunately, it's such a hands-on system with everyone touching cards that we've we've kind of haven't been able to do it since the pandemic hit. So it's definitely one of the things I know some people locally are are looking forward to getting back to. Absolutely. The last one I'll throw out there is is another way to um, <laughs> play with decks in a way that, that no one ever intended. And um, Archon's Corners talked about this variant a lot, but they came up with it and it's called Shredder. And it's basically just a way to get people to rip up decks. And it's, it's a way to play while you're playing the game. There's actually a creature in the deck that lets you rip up cards. It's one of the mechanics that it adds to the game. And that's something that it's very interesting to watch decks get smaller over the course of multiple rounds. But if you're interested in bringing decks that you know you'll never see again, or you just want to see how a deck plays with less cards in it, it's, it's, a, fun, it's a fun thing to try. I think just the terminology I'm around Shredder that. scares me. <laughs> like the idea of just taking yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I grew up watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I cannot subscribe to that. <laughs> no Foot Clan over on Blake's side of the fence. Um, but there is another way that we can do this. And this one is the most complex, I think, in a lot of ways. Because it's not just something that can be agreed upon by uh, people in the moment or the week beforehand. It kind of requires a lot of organization. And the only real way that I could think of to express this was like event series. Think of it like this. Um, if you all recall, uh, a little over a year and a half ago, uh, actually probably closer to a year and nine nine or ten months ago, we were playing store leaderboards uh, series. And the way those worked was that they just tracked wins and losses every single week at Archon. And then at the end of the month, the people who were at the top of the leaderboard got alternate art decks. And that added such a cool dimension to Archon because one, it was an incentive for people to show up every single week because they knew they were going to get something cool if they could rack up those points, but also was a, a powerful incentive just to get like the idea of Archon is important. Archon is something that has a lot of important. Like my own personal preference oftentimes is, you know, 
Playing my own decks, sure, that's fun in a really competitive format like a tournament, but playing my own decks in just like weekly is less appealing than Sealed to me because Sealed has that discovery aspect. But that made Archon more interesting to me because it made Archon seem more important. Showing up to Archon, doing well in Archon, just seemed like it was something I wanted to do because I really wanted to get my hands on those prizes. And it doesn't even have to be something official like that. I think you could have a lot of fun doing something like we did a little while ago, Blake, if you'll recall, before the start of the pandemic, we had a series of events going on where literally everybody just agreed that they were going to bring the same deck for 10 weeks in a row, with, of course, exceptions for people who couldn't make it every week. And then we were going to let chains determine. So some people brought heat from the start, But we knew that they were going to get chained down over time with each passing week. So do you bring a lot of heat right at the very beginning? Or do you hope to sort of go down the middle, win some, lose some, but ultimately end up with the most points at the end and see how that worked out? And I thought that was a great variation because once again, it offered us the option to play a bunch of decks against each other multiple times, really learn each other's decks, know what to look out for, but also gave like an incentive to Archon that made it more spicy than just regular show up with the deck you want to play. Yeah, that was fun. I really like when winning in a week or not even winning, but meeting meeting a certain criteria one week allows you to um, have an effect on the next week. Like um, we we've done it before where the person who does the worst actually gets to pick uh, Archon or Sealed the following week. So it it wasn't necessarily a, a fun variant that they got to pick, but it was something where the person who who did something that week had an effect on next week's play. Mm, interesting. Super cool. So, you know, we haven't by any means, I think, exhausted all of the different ways in which you can spice up your weekly Archon. But I'd like to think that uh, folks out there, if they have some thoughts around this, they would get in touch with us. They'd let us know and maybe we could talk about it more in future episodes. There's undoubtedly more variants that we haven't tried. There's more different ways of delineating what decks people bring that we haven't tried. And I would love to have more ideas uh, that we could bring to our own local groups and uh, that hopefully uh, we'll get the chance to try in the not-so-distant future because I love playing weekly key forge when i have the opportunity and having a little something extra on top of it always a pleasure can't end an episode of help from future self without the titular segment this one's called help from future self Self. sydney you're in the help from future self hot seat this week So I actually had an interesting experience where um, recently with all of the inexpensive decks going around, whether it was the the, uh, sale from Ollie's or... um, Blake, what what you've been but what you've been putting down for other people, but um, we actually bought some original displays of decks as each set came out. We've actually bought two displays and had them like just sitting in our closet. So yes, we have two original Coda displays sitting in our closet upstairs along with two original AOA, two Worlds Collide, and etc. And so we actually, I did quite a bit of research into whether we should get rid of them right now because the secondary market is going absolutely insane. And I think my my help from future self is I'm going to hold on to those. I think that the, not that I, I plan on ever selling them for, for a ton of money, but I feel like if you love the game and you think it'll continue, there's no reason to think that the secondary market explosion right now is 
is going to come of anything. There is a lot of, well, there's actually two camps. One is that uh, all these decks are, are now worthless because blah, 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 hiatus. But then the other side is these decks are going to be so rare because they won't ever be able to reprint these again. And there's no way that um, these decks won't go up in value. So my help from Future Self is don't speculate on the secondary market right now. It's not worth it. Just play the game, love the game, keep your decks, enjoy. I like that because as a comic book collector, speculation is the bane of my existence. <laughs> driving up prices based on theoretical future returns. Don't try and play the market. Um, if you want to make money, there's lots of legitimate ways you can do that and invest without investing in something like a card game. Um, you know, that's not to say that you shouldn't participate in the market, but it's also to say that if you take a thing that's supposed to be fun and you start adding this business aspect where you're buying decks you don't even care about right. because you think you might be able to move them or you're getting rid of decks you love because, oh, well, the market's hot right now. You know, that's a, an easy way to become dissatisfied with the game as a whole and to, for it to stop being about what it should be about, which is having fun and the thrill of discovery. Right, definitely. I totally meant don't do it for the sake of making money and thinking that the value of the decks are going to change. I really like if you love decks, secondary market is the place for you to go, but not for the sake of the money. And if you're panic selling all of your Keyforge stuff and you've got good Quixelstone decks, hit up your buddy, Scuzzy Gruen. He's right here, and uh, he's he's got an open wallet for uh, that particular flavor. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and uh, on The Crucible as Scuzzy Gruen. Sydney, where can they find you? I am SC Steel on TCO and Discord. And Blake, where can they find you? And what sorts of things do you have going on? Well, um, next week I'm going to be on hiatus from doing any content as I'm going out of town. But um, you can always catch me for streams on Saturday after this week. And of course, I got Keyforge product. If you want some decks for cheaper than you can normally get, hit me up. I mean, everyone's panicking and trying to get their hands on product. Exactly. I got you covered. All right. We'll be back at you next week with more help from Future Self. Until then, stay forward.